Hello and welcome back to Up in the Roost. I'm Tyler Waldrop. As always, I'm here with Thomas Ashworth. We're coming to you for the first time following a loss this season. Thomas, how do you feel about the Gamecocks after they lost at Coastal Carolina on Saturday? I mean, it felt like there were just so many moments in this game where they just could have won it. This will obviously, I don't think there's a question about it. This will be the one that really got away from them um, just because of all the mistakes that happened. But I think we can both safely say that we were more encouraged after the game than before the game uh, with just the way Jacksonville State is. I mean, just the way that the passing game was elevated, the way that um, they really just performed against a solid FBS team. I mean, this isn't like, this isn't UTEP or this isn't New Mexico State. This is... This is a team that's consistently been in the top 25 poll. This is a team that has a quarterback who's probably going to make it to the NFL. There were more things I felt like that went right than went wrong, but those things that went wrong just really cost Jacksonville State. Yeah, I mean, Rich Rod, if if you listen to the the radio after the game, you heard how frustrated, I'm going to use the word frustrated, Rich Rod was. But, I mean, at one point, talking to us, he said, coulda, shoulda, woulda. I can't remember if that was when he was still on the radio or, or after when we were uh, talking with him privately. But, I mean, that's how I felt. I felt like the Gamecocks could have won it, should have won it, probably would have won it if, you know, a couple things go differently. And most of those things were either decisions or or things that Jacksonville State could control. I mean, it was weird, uh, Thomas, when we left. You know, that that's the first loss. It's not even a, a close loss. It's not like Jacksonville State had a real shot at winning in the last minute. But... We were talking about how positive we thought the performance was. I mean, I thought Jacksonville State's offense legitimately took a step forward, despite the fact that we still don't know how the quarterback situation is, and despite the fact that the offense couldn't get it done in the red zone. I mean, they moved the ball. Obviously, the biggest question of this game is probably the quarterbacks, um, but one of the bigger questions surrounding the quarterbacks is how are they going to elevate the passing game. I mean, this is something that um, we talked about after the game and we wrote about, but it's just it was just really interesting to see that this these were the longest shots that the quarterbacks made. There was a 30-yard catch that was Zion's uh, longest pass of the game and then of, of the year, and then it was a 35, and then it ended with a 42. The Perry Carter and Quentin Lane, either one of those had those big plays, and then um, we saw Logan also take a couple of deep shots, but this was also encouraging to see that they really... I wouldn't say trust both quarterbacks, but they're willing to kind of take that next step and kind of experiment with the passing game, especially with, you know, two receivers who we really haven't seen as much of as we have other receivers like Sterling Galvin um, and Michael Petway. What would you do with the quarterbacks? You said that's the most interesting question. I, I think I agree. That's probably the thing fans are wondering. You know, do you have a decision? Do you know who you think should be the guy? It's so hard to say just because of the way that Logan is still recovering. Um, the way that Zion just had so many third down questions. Um, they're both just such different quarterbacks. And we had an interesting conversation with Perry Carter after the game, uh, just about how his timer changes with each quarterback and just how he has to adjust differently. But I mean, obviously he's going to say he trusts both quarterbacks, but they seemed really impressed with Logan. Um, I think that he's improving every single snap he plays. Uh, we haven't seen much of the deep passes and really testing them besides the run game up until this game so I really don't know this bye week is probably the best spot that they could have a bye week in after this loss um, just to get everything figured out but I mean do you have do you have an opinion of your own about the quarterbacks I think Logan Smothers played well enough on Saturday to be the starting quarterback going forward the fact that Logan didn't start 
to me says that Rich Rod is still probably seeing the Zion Logan dynamic we probably saw in fall camp. I think Logan probably is still making the coaches, you know, he's having those big moments, but I would guess Logan's still having some mistakes. If I was going to criticize Logan for Saturday, the biggest criticism would be I feel like Logan, there were times he wasn't maybe as aware of when the pass rush was getting close. I feel like that pocket presence was lacking a couple times, and maybe Zion has a better sense of that. He's uh, Despite the fact that Logan did really well running, I still think Zion is probably the, the better runner of the two guys. Although Logan really closed the gap, in, in my mind, with what he did on Saturday. The biggest question I have at this point is, for like the third time this year, Zion has just not been on the same page with his receivers. I'm thinking back to third down in the red zone, Zion's looking Sean Brown's way. Sean Brown is wide open, but he doesn't look. So he, I mean, he can't even make it a play on that catch. He's not looking. I remember seeing that in the opener. Uh, I think I, and then I saw it another time in the opener, I think. It's just, and I don't know, like, is that Zion's fault? Is that a fault with Sean Brown on that play? I don't know. It's definitely frustrating for fans to watch plays like that plays that are open, plays that should be easy, that just don't go anywhere. And I mean, if Jacksonville State gets that touchdown there, I think that changes the whole game. I think if Jacksonville State's up, then maybe some of these mistakes that happen late don't happen. And Coastal Carolina, suddenly there's pressure on Coastal to drive the field and and score. And and the narrative around the game during halftime is, why can't Coastal finish? I mean, Coastal had the same problems. Coastal turned it over on downs. Coastal ended up punting. I mean, Jacksonville State's offense looked better on Saturday for the first two, two and a half quarters of the game. But if you can't get any points, it doesn't really matter. And I mean, they got those those three field goals from Alan Krajic were great. But, you know, Coastal was able to get one touchdown and that's all Coastal needed to be up. Another question that we're going to have moving forward is what's going to happen with the running backs we saw Ron Wiggins get taken out because of a shoulder injury. We still have not seen Anwar Lewis. We don't know why he wasn't playing on Saturday. There were more encouraging signs from Rich Rod than discouraging signs about his status pretty much every time we ask about it. But still, without Ron Wiggins as the running back, you're left with Malika Jackson, who obviously he's a talented running back, but this isn't really something that Rich Rod's plan should have is two starting running backs who are injured, obviously. But we saw a lot of snaps uh, taken by Regian Bennett and J1 Evans. Regian Bennett's the kind of guy that they were really excited about. He was injured. He didn't play in the spring. He got healthy, played a little bit in the fall, and just kind of sunk into the depth chart. And J1 Evans is a newcomer who scored two touchdowns against ETSU uh, in garbage time. But Tyler, what do you think about the running back situation with just Malik Jackson in it and not Ron Wiggins and maybe not even Enwar moving forward? Yeah, Jacksonville State runs the ball too much for Malik Jackson to be the guy that's car- that's asked to do 60% of the job, 70% of the job. I think this offense really is built where maybe there's one guy who does have 40-50% of the load and then you have other guys that come in. Yeah, I don't know what to think about Anwar though. I mean, every single week we ask about Anwar Lewis and every single week, you know, the Go back to the the week of the opener, Richrod said. uh, Sunday was his first day back at practice as a full participant. You know, if he's able to go Saturday, he will. 
in my mind, I just mentally knew Anwar Lewis is not going to play the opener. And Rich Rod didn't really suggest that he was. He just said it's a possibility. The next week, Rich Rod does talk about Anwar Lewis. Like, he expects Anwar Lewis to play against ETSU. I personally thought that would have been a mistake. You know, why, just give him the extra break. You don't need him for this game. I mean, we talked about it last week. Coastal Carolina, of course, Anwar Lewis is going to come back against Coastal Carolina. If you just... If we'd sat down in July and just said, okay, pick a game that Anwar Lewis is going to come back for, I would have circled Coastal Carolina. I was really surprised he didn't play. And Anwar Lewis isn't even available as like an emergency guy, it seems like. I mean, Ron Wiggins gets hurt, and Anwar Lewis isn't even a, okay, if we really need him, we can throw him in yet. There's every reason in the world to believe Anwar Lewis should be there at Eastern Michigan. Going to have an extra two weeks to get ready. But at this point, I'm just, I'll, I will believe that Anwar Lewis will play when I see Anwar Lewis on the field. And, you know, if he's too, if he's hurt, he certainly shouldn't rush back. He should recover. But I, I have no idea what to think about that. As far as the rest of the running backs go, I think Malik Jackson is continuing to do a really great job. Ron Wiggins has just emerged as this actual difference maker for this team. He's not just a contributor. He's not even just a starter. Ron Wiggins for all intents and purposes, might be one of the most important players to this offense. And so him being sidelined, yeah, I, I think that is concerning now on the positive. Two weeks to get ready for Eastern Michigan. Maybe Ron Wiggins can get healthy by then. Rich Rod didn't seem to know how serious the injury was Saturday, so we don't know either. And we'll kind of wait to figure that out. We probably won't have an update till next week. Jacksonville State doesn't do press conferences during bye weeks. They take the week off, so we'll probably get an update. That's probably one of the first questions we're going to ask next Tuesday when we see Rich Rod. I mean, obviously this is important in the run game with just Malik Jackson uh, being out there, but it's also really important in the passing game. Anwar Lewis was supposed to be a back that could catch the ball really efficiently. And even now we've seen Ron Wiggins get the ball, especially in the past game. I mean, he had a really good passing game against UTEP compared to the other receivers in the room. We've seen him get some time against ETSU as well. And we I don't know if he got that many targets against Coastal Carolina, but I mean, Malik Jackson sitting at third in the passing game as far as receiving yards and Ron Wiggins is at sixth. So with these guys elevated roles in the passing game, it's really crucial for really whoever starts at quarterback and obviously the passing game. But when we saw Perry Carter and Quentin Lane step up, I thought I was, I thought it was surprising to see them get that many yards on just two or three plays. I think it's more of luck, but if they wouldn't have had those yards, I think that Malik Jackson or Ron Wiggins would be much more near the top um, as far as receiving stats are concerned. I mean, when I was just looking at the box score after the game, I was surprised to see Malik Jackson led the team with seven targets. Seven. Quinn Lane was second with five. Perry Carter was third with four. That immediately made me remember that Logan Smothers, especially late in the game, was looking at Malik Jackson. Like When guys were, were rushing him, when Logan was trying to get rid of the ball in a hurry, he was looking Malik's way. He missed a couple that I think Logan would probably tell you he should have had, you know, just sailing it over Malik Jackson's head, which would be a big point of criticism for me, but it's not like we've seen Zion consistently hit those passes. Speaking of quarterbacks, Thomas, how did you feel about Grayson McCall watching some of the game back? I know how I felt in the moment after the game, and I know how Rich Rod felt in the moment after the game, but I know you went back and watched a little bit. What did you think of him? There were times when we saw, you know, that was a good play, but 
there were much more times when it was a check down or much more times when it was just a simple toss and the receivers did the job. His longest pass was for 48 yards, uh, but that was just because of the receiver. He really relied on just check downs and um, the couple of times that he did throw a long play, he might have made them, but the receiver did most of the work. Especially when you look at the games that Jared Brown and Sam Pinckney had. I mean, they were really good at just getting loose in the fourth quarter, just breaking loose and making big plays. I mean, I wasn't. I was really excited to watch Grayson uh, just because of he's an NFL prospect and he's probably going to have a scout at every time, at every game he goes to and plays in. But still, I mean, I. I thought Jacksonville State did a pretty good job of limiting him until they let those really big plays loose in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I was underwhelmed seeing Grayson. Perhaps that's because of the way Jacksonville State's defense played. We're going to talk about the defense in a little bit. But yeah, my initial reaction was Grayson didn't do anything. There's not a play. There's not a moment really where I go, oh yeah, I see it. I mean, I think I've been more impressed with what I saw from Logan Smothers in practice. And I've also been more disappointed with what I've seen from Logan Smothers in practice, from a, just from a talent standpoint. But Richrod said after the game, he was fine. He did, Grayson did what good quarterbacks do. He took the easy stuff. He took the check downs that we gave him. So maybe that is what makes Grayson McCall a great quarterback is – he doesn't do too much. I also didn't see Grayson take many passes that I thought were bad. Even when Grayson missed, I thought he missed in a safe way. He missed in a deep shot in an attempt that maybe only his receiver could have gotten. Jacksonville State never really had a chance to make a pick. I didn't. I don't think I remember any single play where I thought, oh, the Gamecocks should have got an interception there. So maybe that is what makes Grayson McCall so great. His steadiness, his ball security. He doesn't throw picks very often. He's, he's never thrown more than three in a year. So maybe that's it. I think we both kind of left going, oh, that was it? There wasn't a big play? Do, do you think that that's just how Grayson played, or do you think that was because of how Jacksonville State's defense looked on Saturday? I mean, what Grayson did most of the time worked. I mean, he had a good game. There's no question. I think he had his way for most of the time. Whenever he made a play, he executed it usually. Uh, but still, I mean, there were a lot of flashes that went right I felt like for Jacksonville State I thought that the secondary played fine I thought that there were some good moments from the defensive line but that's really going to get overlooked by those third down moments when Coastal broke free for some of the second half I mean it's just most of the plays that the defense made are really just going to get overlooked I thought that there were a few players that played particularly well uh, but again those same players had those same mistakes that cost Jacksonville State um, a chance to convert on downs, a chance to force a punt or a field goal. Um, there, there were just too many things that went wrong for me to say that the defense did most of the things right. I think my biggest takeaway from the game is Jacksonville State's defense is really, really good. I actually really believe in this defense. The penalties were awful. Offsides that many times. That There was the time that there was no offsides call when Coastal Carolina is obviously trying to draw them off down in the red zone, I think it was fourth down. And when Jacksonville State comes across the line, it ends up being a false start. But just in the moment, I just chalked it up to there's another offsides penalty because we had seen it so much early in the game. And that definitely killed them. But I still come away thinking this defense played really well. If you take away those penalties, this is an A-plus defensive effort. I mean, consistently... 
Derek Carter, off the top of my head, I can think of three times Derek Carter came in and made a great play on a ball. At least one or two of those times, he was beat on the play, I think by Sam Pickney. And he comes in and he knocks it out. I mean, just really good, really good play on a really good receiver. Jabari Mack had a time, it looks like he was beat. I, I still need to go back and rewatch the game to get the context completely. But Jabari Mack doesn't lose confidence. He doesn't just tug on the receiver. And he makes a great play to break up the ball. Go back to the first week against UTEP. Jabari Mack is in a similar situation in the end zone. And he he's not sure if he can get back on the receiver. And he tugs him down and he, he gets the defensive penalty. And then all of a sudden, UTEP is in scoring range and scores right at the end of the half. So, I mean, I, I, I was really encouraged by the way the secondary looked. And we haven't even talked about Colby, who got 18 tackles shattering his career high that was 10 before the game. And those are I think those are some of the performances that are going to get lost in this game because of the penalties. The penalties made the defense look bad. The, de- the penalties made the defense stay out there long enough that Grayson was able to find these receivers. So I think that takes away from it. But I think if you just go through and just watch the plays and you ignore the score and ignore the penalties, I think you'll see a lot of really good moments from this defense. And I think this defense played well enough that I would expect them to shut down all but maybe two of the teams Jacksonville State's going to play this year. I think South Carolina stands out. I think I haven't seen Western Kentucky this year, but I know Western Kentucky's personnel is typically pretty good. I know that Western Kentucky has some talent back on offense that might be hard to shut down. Other than that, there's there's no one that's jumping out at me that I think, oh, Jacksonville State can't play with these guys. And I think Jacksonville State could certainly hang with Western Kentucky potentially. I, you know, We need to see it more. UTEP's offense was certainly nowhere near what Coastal Carolina had. So it's tough to be too impressed with how Jacksonville State played. And obviously East Tennessee State is not a team that belongs on the same field with Jacksonville State. So I'm interested to see how the defense looks going forward to see if this was a perhaps career night for some of these guys even though they had the penalties but I mean I'm I'm currently believing in this defense and I think it's really good what did you think of the defense I think that in my report card which we did I gave him a c minus I think was the grade but I went back and watched some of the stuff and I think that I kind of shortchanged him a little bit just after re-watching the game and like you said seeing those plays uh, but still I mean I was talking with like a high school coach yesterday and he said the the way to be good at football is not is do the things good that don't require you to be a good football player. And that's obviously that's like the offsize penalties and that's not having disconcerting signal calls and that's not, you know, just getting frustrated. And I, I could see why Rich Rod was really mad about that just because of the way that they didn't have to play particularly well to not have those things happen and it just erases pretty much everything um that happened granted there were plenty of really good moments like you said colby fuquay and Derek carter played really well but those moments are just lost and um we've said it a few times and i think rich rod said it four or five times and but this this is the game they got away from and those penalties are just i that's the one thing that i would think of and it's sad because colby fuquay had a career night uh but that's just the one thing that i'll will always think about when whenever I think about this game. Yeah, I think I wouldn't be too harsh on yourself for the C minus. I think if you asked Richrod, he'd probably give Jacksonville State an F. 
just based on the penalties. I, I think offsides once is one thing, but I mean, Jacksonville State went offsides at least four or five times. Some of those penalties, if you go look up the box score, you won't even see them because, you know, they go offsides. And Grayson McCall does what you see a lot of NFL quarterbacks do. He knows he has a free play. He takes a deep shot. And he hit on a couple of those. So you don't need the penalty if you can do that. And that's how Coastal got the first touchdown of the game. On a offsides penalty where Grayson knew, okay, I can take a free play. It doesn't matter if my receiver's open. I'll just throw it. So, yeah, I think... This was a really up-and-down game. It's weird that we left a loss overall feeling encouraged about the team. It'll be interesting to see if you know we look back at this game three, four weeks from now as maybe a turning point for this team, even though it's probably going to go down as the most frustrating loss of the season. I mean, this you're right. This is a team Jacksonville State absolutely should have beaten. Uh, I'm not sure where Coastal Carolina is going to finish this year. But, I mean, if Coastal Carolina finishes as a 20th, 24th, like we've seen Coastal do in years past, like, it's got, it's going to be frustrating for Jacksonville State to, at the end of the year, go, oh, we could have had a win over a top 25 team, but we, we blew it. Before we wrap up, Thomas, I just wanted to kind of talk big picture. How do you feel about Jacksonville State getting to six wins? After this game, I think before the season, um, it was more fair to chalk up a lot of these kind of as uh, they'll probably lose that game. But now, I mean, their next game that I see that they would have real quote unquote trouble with is probably Liberty. Um, and then past that is Western Kentucky. And then past that is South Carolina. But I don't think that there's really a game that we could say, oh, they'll probably lose that game. It's just, I think that I looked at ESPN's power rankings and game predictions and while it doesn't mean that much if they win every game they're favored to jacksonville state will finish eight and four um, which is something that we weren't really expecting obviously but with utep i we thought they would be a lot better and they just have not been great um, at all east tennessee state not good but i really think that this coastal carolina loss was probably the most encouraging game they've had um, so looking ahead, I mean, I don't see why they couldn't get to six wins, um, especially when you look at kind of how bad Conference USA has been playing, Florida International, New Mexico State, just teams that are just not good. And I mean, Florida International is a team that Jacksonville State beat not too long ago as an FCS program. And Jacksonville State's easily better than Florida International right now. So there's just a lot of these that they don't really need that much luck to win. Um, they just need to play as they have been, and I think they'll be fine. I mean, what's a, what do you think is a realistic win total for you um, moving forward? You know, Jacksonville State's 2-1 and one right now. I think 7 might be on the low end. Just looking at the schedule, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think Jacksonville State has the benefit of some of the teams that the Gamecocks might struggle with are home. And some of the games that, at least on paper, that we look at right now that we see as easier games are on the road. Now, maybe the, the big question mark is, is Jacksonville State going to be this mistake prone on the road? Is, is that going to be the theme? And then that puts this win total into doubt. But, I mean, if Jacksonville State can continue to play well, if even up to the standard we've seen through three games— on the road and at home, then yeah, I, I mean, I would say Jacksonville State has a great chance at a seven-win season, an eight-win season. 
I don't I don't see you know the trip to South Carolina I think is obviously a big test. Uh, I, I'm not I would not pick Jacksonville State to upset South Carolina at this point certainly. Uh, I still think the trip at Sam Houston, especially with the quick turnaround, it's like five days after the Eastern Michigan game. We're already worried about Jacksonville State's depth at a couple positions with injuries. That can only get worse. You, you see very few football teams who get healthier the longer they play. So I still sort of have that one circled as just, uh, I don't know, watch this game, what could happen. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see any games that I would go, oh, Jacksonville State can't win that, except for the trip to South Carolina. I mean, everything else is winnable. I, you know, I have to do predictions each week for the games. I predict a score. And I don't see any game on this list other than the trip to South Carolina where I won't at least think about picking Jacksonville State to win outright. And on most of these, I think I will at this point pick Jacksonville State to win outright. There might be one or two games that I would have pretty close, and maybe because it's on the road, I might pick the other team by like a point or two. But I mean, these all look really winnable. And I'm shocked that we're talking like this because, I mean, back in the summer, you know, Jacksonville State's first year at FBS, Rich Rod spent all offseason talking about how all the teams are going to be bigger, faster, stronger, deeper. I thought if you told me in the summer that Jacksonville State would get seven wins, I would say that's a really, really good year. But now it kind of feels like if Jacksonville State doesn't get seven wins, that might be a really disappointing finish. So that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you guys again for tuning in. While next Saturday is going to be a bye week for Jacksonville State, we still have a podcast planned, so be on the lookout for that. Thank you guys again for tuning in. We'll see you again next week.